there's an article you can look it up on the internet called No Man's Land. Basically, the concept is, let's say that you start a hamburger joint in your city, and it becomes very popular. And so you set up a second one and a third one and a fourth one. And you can get to a certain level with that hamburger joint, and then you're going to get to what's called a plateau. And then the only way you're going to get to the national and international burger places like McDonald's or In-N-Out or Carl's Jr. is you've got you to go across the desert called No Man's Land. Because there's nothing in between there, right? There's You either are this small community-type restaurant, burger place, or you are the big boy. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge again. Today, my guest is Bob Steven. He's the CEO of RSC. Joining us from Utah, sometimes also a San Franciscan. So, Bob, thanks for joining us. Please give a little intro of of yourself and the company for everybody who doesn't know you. Thanks, David. Yeah, again, uh, Bob Steven, I'm the owner of RSC. We're an integrated workforce management system. Those are big words. People on the street don't understand that. It's not like going to Carl's Jr. and picking up a burger. Basically, we help medium to large companies track assets. Those are people, places, things. Um, Our big job right now is return to work, uh, helping people get back into the offices. Like, how's that going to happen? Do we stagger it? Do we quilt it? Do we do schedules? Do we, how do we clean? How do we test people entering the buildings? All that kind of good stuff. So, we help consult with that on an application in the IWS industry called Archibus is the, is the main one. And we have our own product called SpaceView on top of Archibus that uh, helps uh, those clients uh, track those assets. Wow. <laughs> Deeper, wider <laughs> than that. But uh, that's basically that's basically the. Yeah. The I mean, which anybody who's ever put together any organization event or space or otherwise uh, knows that even the basic tracking breaks down at spreadsheet land uh, pretty early, you know, in the process. <laughs> There's yeah. all kinds of best practices you could probably dig into there. I, I hate to say it was opportune for your business, but it sure sounds like you got a lot to do from uh, pandemic times. Well, interestingly enough, uh, the initial COVID reduced our business by 20 to 25%. Basically, we didn't lose a client, but the clients basically said, Look, nobody's in the office, so our projects are on hold, right? And about November of 2020, they went, look, I think we can figure out how to – so the project started back up, and we're, we're a little bit ahead of we were last year, and we're trending up towards where we were in 2019. So there's a lot of activity now. So now I'm in an opportune – if you had talked to me six months ago, I'd be going, no, <laughs> we're not right. there. right. <laughs> I mean, it isn't that the picture of everything now. It's just like learning how to deal with like macroeconomic existential uncertainty. I mean, there's just so much that 
none of us imagined you know the joke is like you know nobody got it right in 2015 when they asked what they when asked what they were doing going to be doing in five years you know so yeah yeah um, although i think there's a lot i think there's a lot of good that's going to come out of this uh you know there's kind of both polar ends of this those that are immune herd immunity type people that like i I don't really want to wear a mask but i'm doing it and others that are like no this is a real thing and i I'm going to cocoon in my house until it's over. Neither one are right or wrong. It's just, we got polar sides of that. So I think what's going to be good about this is that we're going to start sending uh, both a technology ground and a philosophical ground on how we go forward with any type of pandemic. How do we gather as crowds? How do we go to work? How do we not go to work? One of the things that's come out of this, it's a, a real blessing, but can, it's going to create some challenges is that, large companies have realized that a significant portion of their workforce can do their job from home. Now, if you think about the economics of that, it could be good and bad, less gas, less cars on the road, right? Less traffic, but what we have less accidents, less, less lost time as we're listening to the radio or the news on the way to work and way back. But people are very effective working from home and there will be a contingent of a large percentage of individuals that will stay working from home. So what is that going to do to real estate? Well, real estate is now going to be looking at different ideas. So, you know, you have this large complex where, you know, you had 50,000 employees coming into the office from all over the, you know, all over the world, they're going into the offices. Uh, let's say that 25% of them now are not going to come into the office anymore. What are you going to do with the extra real estate? Well, your first thought is I've got to offload it. I've got to get rid of it because I'm not having people occupy it, but there's other opportunities. So, other companies need to be thinking about, well, what happens if I take this real estate and do a rework or a Regis type thing? So I could take a building and go, let's make this a revenue stream. Look, I own the building. Let's sublease it out and create a little way that people could just touchstone in. Or they could lease out to startups because there are a lot of startups coming up. I mean, there's a lot of technology because of this pandemic that started because of this pandemic, you know, hoteling applications and you know, remote tracking applications and little doodads here and there. And those companies are looking, may look for space. And so uh, real estate, you know, the larger companies may want to look at, instead of just offloading the real estate, how do we change our approach to that real estate and maybe make it a revenue stream? Right. 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 Absolutely. And it's sort of, that's a, a forcing factor to make better use in general and maybe change minds about how to, you know, sort of turn capitalized assets into revenue assets in, in a way that probably people have not, you know, been forced to think about before. I think that that's, that's really important. And, and thinking about asset tracking and, you know, just sort of the distributed workforce, I have to imagine, at least in the tracking of, of places and people and things now you and your world have to deal with you know thousands and thousands of points out in you know essentially the wilderness right like everybody has equipment at home everybody has a different way of doing doing business and our company's going to start helping to finance some of that instead of a building because they're cash flowing the building or they offloaded the building uh i mean there's gosh there's so much i mean who I don't even know who has to think about those things and who's trained to think about those things. So in, in, in that sense, anybody listening who 
you know, is, is sort of suffering under this might want to give you a call because that's a whole lot to think about. <laughs> well, well, it is. And so one of the things that we're helping our clients understand is that while you have your workforce at home, there's, there's a, about a dozen items you need to consider. So, for example, right now I'm sitting in my mom's house in Utah on a couch. Okay. It is not, ergo, it's not ergonomically set up. Okay. I'm okay with that. I own my company. I don't think I'm going to have a challenge with myself doing this. When you ask your employees to work from home or when they're forced to work from home, there is some safety issues you need to worry about. There are some ergonomic issues you need to worry about. There are some security issues that you need to, to worry about. So, for example, does the person have an ergo setup? Like, you know, can I send a survey to them and go, do you have an ergonomic chair? Is your desk set well? Do you have the right monitors? Do you have a camera? Do you have a microphone? Do you have a significant internet access? Like one of the challenges I've had here in Utah, my parents live up in the mountains and the internet is, it's gone out three times in the three weeks I've been here. Right in the middle of a meeting, zip, we're gone. Hopefully it won't happen here. But those are the types of challenges. And then, you know, do we need to up the infrastructure in, like you said, in, in the wilderness? Uh, so, but besides the furniture and the, and the technology, what about the psychology? Like if you're in a home where it's a blissful place, it's great. But if you're not in a home in a blissful, pla blissful place, you're now looking for the Starbucks or you're looking for a small touchdown space, which is now starting to be a real conversation. Like I'm not going to drive an hour back to the office when this comes lifts up, but I do want a touchdown space within a mile of my home. Where can I go? Is it Starbucks? Maybe. Is it some other place? And so those are the types of things to talk about. Now, on the security side, is your internet fast enough? Is it secure enough? Right? Do they have the SSLs in place? Do they have the encryption in place? You know, do you have the firewall? You don't have the firewall at everybody's home, right? Or do you? Do you have a VPN or, you know, a network set up? So you need to think about those types of things to make sure that the, the, the data they're working on from home is, in fact, secure. And, and, you know, and, and stay safe. So this is going to all be overcome and they haven't been, they have been overcome. Um, so for those of us who are living it, we know that this can all be solved, but this is going to be the new world. It's like, how, how do we set up that mini office in our home that, uh, or a touchdown space that allows us to accomplish the things we need to do as effectively as we, as we can. Yeah, um, absolutely. In, interestingly, on another note, several years ago, there was a, an article and a, and a survey taken that there is a significant number of people who work from home that actually provide more value in the home setting than they did at the office. In other words, their, their contribution is greater. And part of it is, and I'm, I'm the same way, this laptop computer that I'm sitting in front of right now is sitting in front of me. So when I go to eat dinner and I come back and sit on the couch, I see my laptop and I think, uh, it's six, six o'clock and I just got two emails I've got to take, get done. And so there's a segment of people like myself who are, you know, bugs to the light. The computer screen goes up and I'm going to start to work. And so you get more out of them. Other people, you, you don't. But those are all things to consider from working from home. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. And but before we started recording, you and I were just briefly talking about you know, mental and emotional health around all of this. And, and I think I know that I've felt it, you know, and I worked from home anyway, but what I, you know, was not introduced into that is the sort of the, 
just call the existential threat of, you know, the world being kind of crazy and messed up around me and kids around all the time or, you know, just all kinds of stuff that I, I never had to deal with. I started my company shortly before this and suddenly had to figure out how to, to do business, you know, with, with kids all around all the time and cats and dogs and, uh, bears and oh my, and, you know, <laughs> sort of, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the mental changes, you know, kind of around that, even for someone that it was already remote and distributed, I, I can't imagine, uh, the burden of shifting from a office environment into this and how hard that's been. Well, yes. And so one of the, one of the things that, um, is very real for humanity, for human beings. So let's just talk about individuals in a workplace. Uh, as as a CEO over the last five years, I've been very large, big on reading business books with my company. And so once a month, we'll pick a book and we'll read it. And my at least my executive team and I will review the book. And we invite anybody else in the company that wants us to read the same book and contribute to come to that meeting and, and, and do that book. So we've read, you know, a couple hundred books over the last few years. I mix in spiritual and psychological books. I think it's really important, not just in this pandemic, but as as human beings, to get in touch with what you are and who you are and what your DNA is and what you need. So let me give you an example. I'm an extrovert. And so when this COVID hit, even though I had been working on the couch for 21 years, nothing really changed. I'm still on the couch. But psychologically, I couldn't go to lunch. I couldn't go to a movie. I couldn't go bowling. Difficult golfing, right? And so I had to go, and it, and it brought me down a bit. I mean, the first couple of months, I'm like, oh, this is just not good for Bob. So I then had to start thinking about what can I do? And so I started taking walks every day. Like I had a 45-minute walk route where, you know, I could I could go and, and, and do my walk. And I've talked with some other leaders and I'm really big on naps. You know, if you can train yourself, I trained myself 40 years ago to take a 20 minute nap and, and I, I can go down and get back up in 20 minutes with a nap. And so occasionally I need to take a nap just to make the break so I can become fresher. And then sometimes it's just getting up and talking to my wife or my kids or petting the dog. There needs to be those breaks. You need to identify who you are. Now, my family, there's a couple members of my family that are introverts and they're doing handsprings because of COVID. Like, I don't have to go anywhere. I love it. So, um, you know, a couple of books that I would recommend, um, my one of my great books that I love more than anything around culture is Tony Shea's book, uh, Delivering Happiness. Um, and I love that book about trying to provide, provide a great culture, understanding that people, all people in the business are contributors, where they fit, how they fit, and then how to deliver happiness. Just be happy about what you're doing. A couple other uh, books that I have read that I really like, um, Wayne Dyer's uh, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. And when I started to read that book, I thought this is going to be a, this is going to be a book on how you rethink, you know, how do you, how do you change the synopsis in your head and, and get things to think in a proper way. And what I, what it really was, and I was very surprised by this, it was the 81 verses of the Tao, Tao Te Ching from Lao Tzu. And as I read it, I usually do it through audiobook. I, I usually listen to it. I'm like going, and I'm a, I'm a religious individual, I'm like going, that's religious, that's religious, that's spiritual, that's understanding. But basically the message of the book is, can you just relax and let the universe bless you? Can you just let the universe bless you? I'm going a little bit spiritual on this business thing, but 
I have to honestly say that what we're going through, I think sometimes we just need to connect with the universe uh, and just say, you know, it's okay and we're going to make it. And if you go back in history, we've been through pandemics before and we've come out the other side of it. We're going to come out on the other side of this one. And if we can just relax. So I love that. Change your thoughts, change your life. The one I'm reading now um, is Positive Intelligence. Um, and I don't remember the author's name, but it's really a wonderful book on identifying your psychological, what they call saboteurs. What, what little tape recorder is going on in your mind that says you can't do this, you can't accomplish this. And what small little exercises on how to relax and overcome and allow your sage come out. So in this pandemic, I would recommend those types of things. To really get in touch with yourself. Just kind of understand. And I found that going through this COVID thing that I've, I've really, I've really come in touch a lot better with myself than than I thought I was going to. But it's been real good. No, that's great. And just having the discipline to take the time for those things that can they are so. I think everyone would agree that's important. And yet the urgency behind it is low relative, right? You just always feel like there's an email to write. You always feel like, well, I should really be reviewing that proposal or whatever you're doing. And that taking some of that time really can elevate the rest of, of what you're doing so that you actually do a better job. I know I, I could talk about the shifting productivity, if you will, like my situation is that I literally get less than six hours to work a day because of the school pickup schedule. And so I mean, like it or not, I'm not starting till nine and I'm getting up at, at three o'clock to go into almost an hour round trip to get school. And uh, that man, that was a shift, you know, have, especially having a job where you're on calls all day that uh, you won't be doing your quote unquote real work until substantially later. <laughs> and, and how do you split that up and feel, you know, feel good and, that I accomplish things. And I'll admit some days I don't do a particularly wonderful job at that. Uh, and finding time to work out and journal and do those healthy you know, activities that I know are necessary. So, I mean, it's, it's the, the balance thing I think has come into like stark reality now. Yeah, it, it has. And, and um, that's always going to be a concern. Um, I had a speaker by the name of Dan Miller. He's a nutritionist. You should look him up. He's, he's world-renowned for his nutritional uh, comments. And, um, you know, he was talking to us about health and uh, weight gain and stress and all that kind of good stuff. And he asked a question, you know, what are the six things that make people lose gain weight, right? And, you know, all of us said diet. And he goes, that's number five. Uh, and number one turned out to be stress. Stress, yeah, cortisol. And he, and, he, yeah. And, he, and he looked at us and he said, look, if we were back half a million years and you're living in the wilderness, what, what are the stress things you're going to have? Basically, if an animal is going to attack you, right? You gotta, you gotta, you're going to you know, fight or flight or freeze, right? One of those three things. And what he basically was saying is, is that sometimes we create that fright, flight, or freeze by our job. And that the reality of it is, it's not really, it's not life-threatening. There's no bear that's going to eat you. There's nothing there that's really going to harm you. But it's in your head, and it's very, very real. And he says, so what's the number one way to escape, what's the number one way to escape from a bear? You, you run. 
And so he basically said, one of the best ways to get past stress is exercise. Is, 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 and it's just nature. And uh, it's just natural. It's DNA. And so how do we begin to, and it's really been helpful since he talked to me, because now I'm beginning to realize that a lot of the stress I put on myself is in my mind. There's no bear. Nobody's going to, no nuclear bomb's going to go off. Nobody's going to die. You know, da, 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 da. Yes, I have deadlines, and I'm not saying that those aren't. But he, he, he says, let's recategorize those as challenges, not stress. Those are challenges. You don't have to have that internal soul fighting that, 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 that fear flight uh, thing. And I found that very helpful. And then with the book of positive intelligence around saboteurs and sages, uh, I'm, be- I'm now beginning to recognize when I start to wind up because I've got too many things to do. I'm, I'm now I'm able to kind of calm myself down and go, come up with a plan. You just got a plan and that stress goes away. And uh, anyways, I just have to say, I'm going in a different direction than I really thought this would go today, but um, it, it, this is all good. That's what we do. That's what we do. And it's interesting. And I think that not enough people think about you know, these things, or at least if we do, we don't have a good guide or like a roadmap to really effectively do it. I, I personally found difficulty for years having been, uh, I won't say elite, but a D1 college athlete, I took for granted that somebody was going to whip my butt every day to go out and do my double workouts. And after college, without that structure, it became very difficult to motivate myself. I didn't have essentially a drill sergeant anymore to do that. And for years, you know, I couldn't figure out how to have that discipline again. And finally, I hacked my brain this year and I discovered randomly that if I were to write what I was doing or ought to be doing on a white or not even a whiteboard on my mirror with a, a dry erase marker, I worked out 90 out of 100 days. And so, you know, 20 some odd years of, of being uh, crappy at self-management, at least in that one little metric now, <laughs> I figured out a way. And I, I guess I say that to encourage people to continue to consume different methods and try, like, you know, I, I had all but given up hope that there was a way to hack my, uh, my stubborn, undisciplined brain and seem to at least discovered one that allows me to be effective with journaling and and with my uh, my daily workouts, but uh, it sounds like you really have. How did you get the habit to consume that much literature? Uh, I mean, I guess there are people that just sort of love to do that and and you know just naturally read. But there's a lot of people that struggle to to put that together. Well, I'm an audiobook type person, so um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of history. Um, I struggled reading my entire life. I've struggled reading. Uh, and I didn't find out till I was 29 years old that I had astigmatism and my eye just kept flickering so quick that I, the words were always moving. And so it made it difficult. And so it was a real chore for me. Once I got a pair of glasses, the page stopped moving, but that psychological hating to read is still there. I don't really, I really don't, it is not my natural thing to pick up a book and read. So I do audiobooks a ton. And when I go for my walks, I have an audiobook on. If I'm driving my car, I have an audiobook on. And um, I'll sometimes do speed and a half, two, two, two speeds. Because the way I look at books is if I only get two or three items out of that book, it's a win. 
I mean, it's a $20 book. It's a $25 book or whatever it is, right? And I get two items out of it that helped me progress in a, in a, what I call a world contribution way. In other words, what am I contributing back to the world by becoming a better Bob? Um, then, then it was well, it was well worth it. And so, uh, like I said, I try to do one book a month and, um, uh, I don't always get one book a month. Um, but you know, if you, if you can just start doing that, you'll have 12 books in a year and 24 and two and 36 and three and, you know, and, and, uh, and I highly recommend audio books or some type of audio uh, that for me, cause I can, I can double task. So sometimes when I'm coding, I'll just have the audio book in the background and I'll just let it go. And I know that people say you can't multitask, but I can't count the number of times I've been coding and all of a sudden there's a phrase and I'll, and I'll stop and I'll go, I, I, this is important to me. And I also think as part of the universe going, Bob, I'm tapping you on the shoulder. This is something I want you to understand, you know, listen to this. So, yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you bring all that back around into business side? You're a CEO. You have to integrate finance operations. Sounds like you do coding. You probably have to do, you know, I don't know, HR, you know, sort of things that are uh, not always, you know, compelling, right? Numbers, numbers maybe don't speak to the universe as much or, or do they for you? You know, just what's the, what's the business context for you like so there's 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 um being a leader of a business or a manager in a business uh it comes with a lot of challenges in ways i never thought would happen so let me give you my journey we talked about giving my journey let, let, let me give you my journey late bloomer because i didn't like to read i didn't start college till i was 24 i was an auto mechanic for seven years and i loved being an auto mechanic i turned wrenches i fixed cars i loved it uh, I didn't like the disrespect and I didn't like working on Saturdays and I knew that I was more intelligent than my, I, I knew I had more to offer to the world than just turning wrenches. So at 24 years old, I went to college and got a degree in architecture and I practiced architecture for 13 years and wonderful, wonderful architectural offices in the Bay area, learned a lot, learned a profession, learned how to speak professionally, how to act professionally how to, uh, you know, um, produce documents that are legal and bindable and uh, defensible. And um, I made, I was at one office for nine years. I made a shift to another office, biggest mistake I ever made. I went to that office. It was horrible. I knew within two weeks I had made a huge mistake. Stayed in through duty for a year and a half and had an opportunity to go to another architectural office that introduced me to the software. This, this IWS software. And at 42 years old, it's like the entire world just went click, 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 click. This, Bob, this is, what, this is what you were made to do. And within a few years of that, one of the major clients that I was consulting with said, we would love you to go out on your own. We're not telling you to do that. But if you did, we'd, 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 we'd help you along. And so I said, went to my wife and I said, I've worked for people for 42 years. I think that I can go out on my own and do this. And if I can't, I know how to go back to work for someone, right? And they wanted me five days a week. And I said, I'll do four. And they go, why four? We're offering you five. I says, well, if I'm going to put a shingle on the door, I'm going to use the fifth day to market. And within three months, I had a second client. Within a year, I had six clients. And here I am now with 50 clients in the Bay Area and um, several employees. 
So what I didn't know about myself is that while I was working for other companies, I was storing away in my brain the entrepreneurial. I was thinking about how their numbers ran, how they were making profit. And it wasn't conscious. It was subconscious, but it was part of my DNA. I'm thinking about how does this work? How does, how does the boss make money? How does he really price things? How does he go to market? How does he sell? How does he, you know, glad hand? How does he do all of these things? And so I was just kind of putting them in my head. And what I found out within the first couple of months of me opening up my, the door is that's my nat, that was my natural state. I am an entrepreneur and I never knew it. I never had the drive to be an entrepreneur. But once it opened up, it was real for me. Um, since then, I'm going to recommend this. Uh, since then, I've taken what's called the predictive index, which is a, a DNA study of, you know, what are your, what are your four basic uh, personality traits when it comes to, you know, there's things like Myers-Briggs and, and DISC and all the other things like this, but I found the predictive index to be really well. And what's interesting is when I took the test, um, my test came back as venture, which is basically a, a C-level uh, person. And that's my DNA. I mean, it's basically who I am. I'm, I'm a driver. I'm a visionary and a driver, and I don't get into the details, da, da, da. So the question you ask, though, is like, what's the, yes, I have to worry about HR. I've had to, I've had to have tough conversations about putting people on warnings and, and eventually letting them go or putting them on warnings or performance improvement plans and having them succeed in those. And um, I've learned how to communicate. I've learned from my lessons of not being able to communicate well, of learning how to, and this is the big one for me seven years ago, and you're not going to tell from this podcast, but how to shut up, right? How to just be quiet and provide autonomy to my staff who are very good and talented and they understand how to do their job. Bob learned from them. And when I did that, I have created a wonderful culture now in the company where I, I've, I've got staff that have been with me for 13, 14 years, and I know they can get more money elsewhere. Uh, but the culture that I built for them working from their home because we're a virtual company, uh, allowing them to do what you just described, go pick up your kids, drop your kids off. I don't care if you go grocery shopping in the middle of the day. I don't care if you go to the soccer game. You get your task done. If the client needs something done, get it done. That's the culture. And if you take care of me, I'll take care of you. And so uh, the other book that I read early on in my 20s was The One Minute Manager. And so I just kind of do touchstones. It's like, is everything okay? Do you need anything from me? If the answer is no, then I'm giving you your time back and I'm going to get out of your way. Now, what are the stresses? Well, the stresses are, you know, when I went down 25% last year because of the pandemic, I had to let ultimately six people go. I had to let them go. I, you know, even though I got the PPP money, it just was, and it wasn't nice. And I, what I did is I gave them an option. I said, basically, I said, look, I can, I can furlough you or I can lay you off. And I'm going to let this be your decision. Let me give you the pros and cons. Furlough means you're still my employee, but you won't get paid until I've got work. But you can keep your health benefits, da 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 da, vacation, cruise, all that stuff. Laying off means you can collect unemployment. And because I opened that up to my staff, they all came back and they decided to leave to take the unemployment. But I felt that that was a nice gesture of me just not coming in and going, you're gone. I can't, I can't afford you. And almost across the board, all of them said, we saw this coming and we knew it. Thank you for allowing us to, to, to be this way. So, so those are some of the stresses. And now some of the stresses are, 
as I'm financially digging out of what happened in, in 2020, I've now got three or four candidates that are top-notch, trip, you know, just top-notch candidates wanting to come to work for me. And now I'm struggling with how do I get the money? Do I go to the bank and borrow the money? Am I going to risk this to do that? You know, these are great guys. These are the guys I've wished for forever. You know, they've, they've known me. I've known them. That's a big challenge, right? I'm sitting down with my wife next week and we're going to come up with a plan to see how that goes and things like that. And then, you know, and then in the ever-changing marketing world, you know, like when I started the business, it was going to conferences and setting up a booth and shaking hands and demoing your software. And now it's like your billboard is social media. Like, you know, how do people know who RSC is? They go to Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, um, YouTube, all of these, you know, there's about six or seven social media outlets where, where people do. So now we're developing content that, you know, short 30 second videos, one minute videos, you know, two minute videos, constantly changing, constantly moving. And so uh, I would say in leadership, you need to learn how to adapt and change and kind of, kind of uh, really uh, got a plan. It's a lot of work. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. And I think you need to look at your DNA. You know, my DNA is, and I, and I talked to my wife about this last night. I go, I'm a driver. I, I mean, I just got to continue to do this, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this to retire or to buy a yacht. I'm doing this because I'm a driver. I want to contribute back to the world. And I want to provide the best I can for my clients and my staff. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but um, some insight. No, I love it. It's great. It's great. And it just shows that, you know, the thoughtfulness and wisdom over time. I've noticed that some people are primarily wisdom collectors and some people are primarily people collectors. So I haven't discovered uh, here and there. I have some pithy wisdom, but I have done rather well over my entrepreneurial adventures of collecting people and teams that, that come along to the next, you know, adventure. So, I mean, you, with a 20 year company, you know, I mean, that's like, just, you've seen a lot of things change. It might as probably four or five different companies when you, when you think about it under the same, you know, kind of umbrella, but um, you strike me as a wisdom collector uh, first. And I think that there's some disposition to that. Um, and myself being, you know, sort of like a people collector, you know, I, if I've done anything well, it's put together a team that travels <laughs> and uh, and builds the next thing and has a lot of trust and uh, telepathy, right, amongst the the team members, which you can't take for granted. Which also makes it hard to train, you know, people who who didn't uh, spend the last twenty years with you as well. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, one of the other things that just kind of hit me, if it's okay, David, is I'm in a position right now. It's called no man's land. There's an article, you can look it up on the internet called No Man's Land. Basically, the concept is, let's say that you start a hamburger joint in your city, and it becomes very popular. And so you set up a second one, and a third one, and a fourth one. And you can get to a certain level with that hamburger joint, and then you're going to get to what's called a plateau. And then the only way you're going to get to the national and international burger places, like McDonald's or In-N-Out or Carl's Jr., is you've got you to gotta go across the desert called No Man's Land. Because there's nothing in between there, right? There's, you either are this small community type restaurant, burger place, or you are the big boy. And 
I'm facing that now. It's like I've kind of got to that point in 21 years where I'm now facing that desert. Like I would like to grow three or four times larger than I am now. What that means is I may need to hire individuals that I never would have hired 10 years ago. People that have skill sets that can actually guide me across that desert without me dying. Right. Show me where the water holes are. Show me where to gather food as I go through this long journey. And, um, you know, if anybody out there who's listening can give me any guidance on that, I would love to hear it. But that's what I'm facing right now. And I'm starting that journey to go across that desert in no man's land to try to get to that next level. Um, so I would highly recommend that article. Fascinating. Yeah. No, great metaphor. I, I love it. And, and I was going to really that's where we're going to be is like, you know, what's what's next? So you're reading my mind and uh, you gave a great answer. Well, and good segue because I have to wrap with, you know, how do you want people to reach out if they're, you know, compelled to, to talk to you based on what we talked about today? Well, you can go to my website, rsc2lc.com, similar uh, on my social media. Uh, you can do that. I can give you my email and phone number if, if that's right, David. I don't know how you, how you do that. How, how, uh, oh, you how can do whatever are. you want on the air. We're happy <laughs> to share your stuff if you want to. So. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm a big email fan. So if you guys want to email me, my address is B-O-B-S. That stands for Bob Steven. Uh, B-O-B-S at R-S-C-2-L-C.com. And that's basically because uh, R-S-C-L-L-C was taken. So um, <laughs> it's... It's RSC. Numeral L-O, 2, L-C. LC.com. Got it. Email me. Love to talk to you guys. And, and yeah, yeah. Anything, anything That's awesome. Like that. That's awesome. I, I love your I love your insights today, Bob. Thanks for taking time and, and hanging out with us. I, I know it'll be fun to share. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.